Today's episode of Necronomapod is brought to you by Beardology. There are a lot of imitators out there, but there's only one place I buy my beard oil. Beardology beard oil nourishes your skin and won't leave you with that greasy feel. With over 17 cents available in their extensive product line, I trust my beard to Beardology. You can find Beardology at beardology.co. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Beardology, discover the best way to avoid the shave. In the final part of our series on Jonestown, we look at Jim Jones' arrival to Guyana and Jonestown itself. We also discuss how Jim's presence in Jonestown drastically changed the mood and atmosphere of the once peaceful town. How did Jonestown start to fall apart? How did Jim handle the failures of Jonestown? And how did 918 people end up dead? Let's wrap this bad boy up. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're a fan of happy endings, you may want to turn this off and head to the massage parlor because this tragic tale does not end well. This is Necronomapod. Love is the only weapon. Shit! Bullshit! Martin Luther King died with love! Kennedy died talking about something he couldn't even understand sometimes. Generalized love, and he never even backed it up. He shut down. Bullshit! Love is the only weapon with which I got to fight. I got a hell of a lot of weapons to fight. I got my claws, I got purposes, I got guns, I got dynamite, I got a whole lot to fight. I'll fight, I'll fight, I will fight, I will fight, I will fight, I will fight. Let the night roar, because they can hear us. They know we meet, we'll kill them if they come. So this is it, the end of the road. It's been a long, tumultuous journey. <laughs> yeah. Three parts, three episodes. Lot Ian, of, Ian is visibly excited. A <laughs> <laughs> lot of research you did. You said you did some extra extra research for this episode. You're stoked. A little bit, yeah. yeah. A little bit extra research, yeah, outside of what I already knew. So this is the big finale then of Jonestown. Yeah, it's not a not like a good like fireworks finale. It's well, as we already heard from Dave, it's not quite a happy ending. You can go yeah. get that at your local masseuse. Yeah. So what we're gonna get into in this one is how how Jim took the People's Temple, which he built for twenty seven years, and in a year and three months tore the whole thing down and took nine hundred eighteen people with him. Let's get into it. Like we said in the last one, the New West article came out and ex- it exposed everything. It exposed the fake healings, the the money fraud with the kids that were um, that were foster kids, the punishments. Everything was exposed. So everyone in the U.S. knew he was a fraud at this yep. point. And and like we said before, as that article was coming out, he was already on a plane to Jonestown. Because he knew. Right. Oh, exactly. So before he arrived in Jonestown, it was a really peaceful place to live. Like we were saying before, work was extremely hard, but they were getting it done. Um, Everyone was getting along. Everyone was happy. But then all of that under Mr. Muggs watch (laughs) while he's running the show down there. The best foreman you could ever have. Yeah. Foreman, leader, mayor, prince, (laughs) prince, king, really. Yeah. Because like we said in the last one, they started out as 12 guys and Mr. Muggs and then it went up to 60 guys and Mr. Muggs. And everyone kept them in line. Yep. And everyone was happy. And then Jim Jones rolls in and almost overnight. It went from 60 people to pushing 1,000 people, and it was just straight-up chaotic and unsustainable because Jonestown was only supposed to house 500 to 600 people. How many were there? 
that actually died in Jonestown that day were 909. Mm. But there were more. I mean, there were people that defected throughout that that last year. So it's safe to say it was at double capacity. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. If Mr. Muggs would have had the adequate, uh, you know, construction crew to build the place correctly. I well, think. right. He was he was working based on five to six hundred people and they weren't ready for completion yet. Jim Jones jumped the gun. Well, I will not stand for Mr. Muggs getting a bad <laughs> rap in this situation. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is that Jim Jones was a long game guy. You know, he he slowly did all this stuff, and that's how he was successful building the People's Temple and and getting people to follow him. And this just blew up overnight, and that's not the way he worked. And he couldn't control it. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, he had all the drugs and everything. Like it was just okay. complete chaos. Sounds great. And besides it being double capacity. A third of the people were children, a third were elderly, and a third were young adults. So there you got two-thirds of people that were basically useless when it comes to work. Yeah. Gaining all those people but not getting the same manpower or an equivalent ratio of manpower to to get everything set up. Yeah, and they weren't able to produce enough food for everybody either. You know, I mean, it was... Because the soil was bad, like we learned last week, right? Yeah, I mean, they they were able to, to produce some stuff, but it was just too much. There was too many people right. there for, for it. So before we actually get into it, I want to go over a couple people that came with Jim that without these people, none of this would have would have been possible. So by the time he got to Jonestown, Jonestown was basically being ran by Carolyn Layton, Maria Katsaris, and Annie Moore, which was Carolyn Layton's sister. Those three women were deathly loyal to Jim Jones, and they doubled down on every wild thing he he said or came up with. We didn't really we didn't talk about Maria Katsaris in the last episode, but she was one of Jim's mistresses that came into the picture while Karen Carolyn was off giving birth to Jim John Prokes or her side mission, getting that nuke in Mexico. <laughs> right. <laughs> she was multitasking. <laughs> was one of these the ugly women that didn't make the fuck schedule but had to run the fuck schedule? No. Okay. No. Whatever happened to that girl? Yeah, Patty Carmel died in Jonestown. Were all three of these girls on the fuck schedule? Carolyn and Maria were. Annie Moore was not. She didn't make the cut. Well, she was Carolyn's sister. I mean, for Jim. I don't Allen. think that matters to Jim. <laughs> yeah. We've we've already shown he don't give a shit. Right. So these all sound like white women. weren't Wasn't the the congregation mostly African Americans? Were there not any African American women that were his mistresses? Yeah. So remember last episode we said bourgeois was a huge insult. Like if you did anything extra, you were bourgeois. You had a bourgeois attitude, whatever. Right. He was questioned about this in the planning commission. Like, why don't you fuck black women? His response to that was that black women didn't have bourgeois attitudes and he needed to fuck the bourgeois attitudes out of the white women to snap them out of that attitude this guy's an ass clown (laughs) ridiculous Great. Good answer, Jimmy. But yeah, so... Like, don't, don't, don't the rest of the congregation see that? Like, well, seriously. that's... The Gang of Eight saw it. Hmm. I mean, that's part of the... That was part of the problem they had, was that the inner circle was all white, except for yeah. Archie Eimus. It was the only black guy that was part of the real inner circle. I think anyone who saw the bullshit got out, left... And right. then tried going after him. I think we're going to talk about that one group in a, a little bit later today, right? That all were defectors. Yeah. That exposed his bullshit. Why the other thousand people didn't, I don't know. Hmm. But okay. Yeah, so going back to Maria, like I said, she came in while um, 
while Karen was off giving birth. And she was she was only 20 something at the time when she started her affair with Jim. And people said that she was just a really shy person, really quiet and whatever. And something snapped in her brain whenever she hooked up with Jim Jones because she just turned into just this authoritarian, just basically almost like took over that side of Jim Jones, that personality. Like feeling like she was in a position of power or had power or was protected by her, by him. I mean, she, an example of how loyal she was to him. Her dad was was an airplane pilot. So Jim encouraged her to take flying lessons. So she learned how to fly a plane. And then one of her ideas was just to crash the plane and with with a bunch of people on it. Just just to prove a fucking point. Not, Not kill anybody else, just commit the revolutionary suicide by smash the uh, crash in a plane she's the mohammed atta of jonestown <laughs> it's great yeah i mean and she can you if anybody has listened to the death tape or does after this she's the woman that's given orders to for people to get in line behind the table and telling people that the kids aren't in any pain while they're dying and stuff yeah so i mean she's great and so the other person that wouldn't that this wouldn't have been possible without was a guy named Larry Shocked. He was a drug addict that the People's Temple took in and got clean and Jim saw potential in him. So he sent him down to medical school in Mexico and he became a doctor. So he was also deathly loyal to Jim Jones and I mean he turned this guy's life around, got him made him a doctor. So he was he was loyal, yeah, of course. you know. Was it a real medical school in Mexico? (laughs) Just asking. Asking for a friend. They must have been giving discounts down there (laughs) because medical school going to buy nukes down there. That's right. (laughs) He knew all the good uh, hot spots. All the good stuff's in Mexico. Um, So once he got into Jonestown, the mood just completely mirrored his mood and things got real dark real fast he immediately started to micromanage the lives of members even down to their romantic relationships like they would have to apply to start a relationship with each other and then if they wanted to break up they would have to apply for that and get the okay for that Uh, that's wild yeah i mean this goes from this is going from he was running a running a cult you know but now this is like like boot camp cult status now was it, i'm sure me. it was frowned upon if you submitted an application to date someone on the fuck schedule was it stamped <laughs> denied immediately <laughs> and, and the the big difference with his with his mood and everything versus when he was in the u.s was he was able to get away from people like we said before he took those trips with his kids and said they were secret missions for the cause but really they were vacations he was getting away it was his little respite from being on all the time right but now he's surrounded by everybody and he has to be on literally now 24 hours a day which means more drugs which means more on which means more drugs and yeah. just yeah cascades the compound was set up with a loudspeaker system that jim would just speak on for hours a day while everybody's working and like they played music sometimes. You mean he didn't do any manual labor himself. Fuck no! <laughs> wow, that's I'm shocked. Really weird. <laughs> He's never done anything like that. Well, he kept to a very rigid fuck schedule. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine that's exhausting. He got cockburn. I mean, yeah. it's not like he didn't yeah. suffer back injuries. Sore. Yeah, there's evidence of that on the tape. He talks about getting fuck until his dick's raw for the cause and See? stuff. I knew it. <laughs> 
Mr. Muggs is out there building this place. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, like he would just talk and talk all day long on this loudspeaker system. And if he was too fucked up on drugs, they would just put in a tape of him talking. And then after that... After you just put in a 12-hour day of work, you've been working, then you then you go to the pavilion and listen to him talk in person. And he would just, he would read the news. He would just grab a newspaper and just, like, start doing bits, like, just reading shit off the newspaper, <laughs> giving instructions out, ranting about all his paranoid beliefs with the FBI, the CIA, all this shit. Or they would issue their punishments. I'm not seeing the upside of this cult yet. No, not at all. I mean, this, like I said, this went from you were doing good work, but there was all this shit going on behind the scenes Mm. to now this is like, it's almost like a concentration camp. Yeah, it sounds like it at this point. So the people there, I mean, he was a constant presence in their lives from morning till night, you know, hearing nothing but his, his paranoid bullshit. How big was Jonestown? It was pretty big. Like... Like landmass wise, landmass wise. Like, are we talking like a big neighborhood, or is it just like a big open field with like a bunch of like cottages built on it? Was like, it surrounded is- by jungle on all sides, or on three sides, or yeah, like what yeah, was the layout? Yeah, so, so yeah, we can get into it now and just give a get a mood for now. We're talking about how they listen to him twenty four hours a day. <clears throat> so Jonestown was set up. They just basically cleared out a big area of the jungle. And they had a bunch of houses, the pavilion, all their their farm, you know, animal pens and shit. But it was surrounded by just thick jungle. Mm -hmm. That's intimidating in itself. So there's no way out. No, the only way to get out of there was to go. It's like a five mile walk to Port Kaituma. And then you either take a boat or an airplane to the capital, Georgetown. Or you go and try and chance it in the jungle, and there was a um, a railroad right. that go that went to Georgetown, but it was way far out, and you could hop a ride on there if you were lucky enough to get that far. Well, the Jaguars getting you, yeah, right. So the really there was no way out of the situation to keep people on edge. Jim really ramped up the idea that things were getting bad in the U.S. And he constantly warned everybody that they should think twice about ever wanting to go back because his prophecies were coming true that minorities were being put into concentration camps and the KKK were taking over full towns and stuff. And they had no idea because they just believed what he said. Well, all mail going out was censored, was filtered and all mail coming in was filtered. So if anybody was writing a family member back in the U.S. and was like, hey, Jim's talking about all this bad shit happening. Are you guys OK? Boom. In it's the like garbage. prison. Yeah, it's in the garbage immediately. Yeah. And if somebody's writing them trying to trying to figure out, you know, how they're doing down there or questioning anything, basically anything. It wouldn't, it wouldn't get to them. Yeah. Basically anything that was saying that wasn't saying I love Jonestown was in the garbage. So, but family members back in the U.S. weren't they knew something was up. I mean, and they started talking to each other. And one of the examples that they noticed when they were, especially got ones that had daughters, they were comparing them and they all noticed the same thing that their daughters were saying it was great. And they were engaged to Dr. Larry shocked. All of them, all of them, (laughs) which is, which is trying, which would be like trying to put them at ease. Like, Oh, my daughter's getting married to a doctor. Things are going great. Right. Right. Well, in all fairness, this is Jonestown. Would it be that far fetched to assume that Jim Jones and this doctor believed he was going to marry all of these women and they'd be added to Dr. Larry's fuck schedule. I don't think okay. Larry, I don't think Dr. Stock was allowed to have a fuck schedule. Okay. Jim was the only one allowed. He was to the only one allowed. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But they just had these form letters they stamped. I'm marrying Dr. Yeah. Shack. No, 
Mary. And Dr. then just Chuck. sign your name and send it off. Right. Yeah. And who knows? Those letters very well could have just been crafted by someone else. You know, oh, one sure. of the. They don't even ups. know they were sent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, from from people from family members getting together and talking, they created the Concerned Relatives Group. Um, it was started by Deanna and Elmer Myrtle, who changed their names to Jeannie and Al Mills due to constant harassment from the People's Temple. Well, way to fucking out them then. Jeez. Well, they're dead now. Well, probably because people like you outed them and the People's <laughs> Temple got to them. So how many people were still back in the U.S., though, that they could harass people? There was a lot. I mean, was there? at the height of this, there was almost 7,000 members. So only about 1,000 were in Guyana and the rest were still in San Francisco. Yeah. Thank God. Okay. Can you imagine Mr. Muggs if 7,000 people showed up? <laughs> He's one chip. He can't do everything. Exactly. <laughs> well, what do they expect of this guy? <laughs> Ugh. So the concerned relatives were legitimately just concerned relatives. They weren't made up of any defectors. Yeah. They were. Defectors, yeah. The defectors, I'm sorry. Yeah. Deanna, Deanna Myrtle and, and El- Elmer Myrtle were defectors. And like I said, they changed their names due to harassment. But the ones that headed up, the main one that headed it up starting it out was Grace Stone because she wanted to get John Victor out of there. And then Debbie Layton, which was okay. so Carolyn Layton's sister-in-law, eventually defected. And she came back and told of all the poison tests that were going on and, mm, and all okay. the craziness. So it was a mix of defectors and concerned relatives. Right. And people who legit <clears throat> just called them out on their bullshit that yeah. Jonestown or Jim Jones was all about. Right. Yeah. And like I said, they, they, were, they were really pushing this because they knew. And some of them had actually been there for the poison tests and all the talk of revolutionary suicide. Um, but the concerned relatives would really become a problem for Jim when he got his most high-profile defector yet, which was Tim Stone. Who was the big attorney. Yeah. Who Jim impregnated his wife and made him write that letter that we talked right. about last week. Yeah. Speaking of the letter, because you were excited about Jimmy Carter, the letter. Do you remember talking about that? <laughs> Jimmy? I remember his J- Jimmy Carter's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Remember I said that he wrote a note? Or the letter yes, was written to yes, Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry, yes. So I was going back through it because I was looking for a um, a quote that we could read that could that could be funny. But it was just basically him telling them, you know, why they should, why they're being persecuted or whatever. But he made sure to attach that affidavit about Tim Stone letting Jim fuck his wife to that letter to Jimmy Carter to explain why this is happening. And oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, the the thing the letter is titled "Urgent, Urgent, Urgent" in all caps, and Jimmy did not respond. Oh, good. <laughs> he was a little busy. Yeah, but Tim he flew back and forth from Guyana to the U.S. to handle legal matters and business stuff for the People's Temple. He had seen how how bad things were getting in Jonestown with the punishments and just how how fucked up Jim was getting on drugs where he was like basically losing his mind. And then Jim started to turn on Tim Stone and claim that he was a CIA CIA agent working against him. So how did he get away if Jim turned on him? Because he was flying back and forth to the U.S. on for legal things. But Jim still let him fly in and out even though he was turning on him? Yeah, so Tim flew out and the last time he went to the U.S., he was like, I'm not fucking going back. Because he just he had a feeling. Right, so he met up with his ex-wife, Grace Stone, and said, shit's getting real bad there. We need to do something and get John Victor out of there because he couldn't, he, there you know, Grace wasn't going to be able to take John Victor when she defected because Tim was still in the cult and right. she wasn't getting him. And now 
there's a thousand people that Jim's ranting to every day and he's got armed guards. There's no way Tim was going to ever get out of Jonestown with the kid either. So perhaps if they would have worked together up front initially, they could have got the kid out before all this stuff started. Yeah. If Tim would have wise, you know, wisened up a little little late to right. But so Tim being, you know, the aggressive lawyer, he was, he was putting major pressure on the U S government to look into Jonestown and Tim and Grace launched a really aggressive custody case for John Victor, which Jim Jones started ignoring court hearings. The U.S. courts were sending him letters down to Guyana, like summons, saying you need to come to court. And he just was ignoring him, not showing him up. And that at that point, after multiple times of doing that, that basically made him a, a refugee in, in Guyana. He couldn't at that point, he couldn't come back to the States because he would be arrested for skipping, for skipping out on all the these court, court dates. Right. Hmm. With the, the drugs and the paranoia and everything, he became obsessed with Tim Stone, getting to the point of meetings being held in the pavilion with members reading out loud essays that they wrote about how they'd kill Tim Stone. And also Just in res- real feel good moments all around. Yeah. Here. And then also in response to the concerned relatives, they would start holding meetings on how they would kill and torture their relatives. So, so it's like poetry slam night at Jonestown now. Yeah. Did Mr. Muggs join in with the poetry slam night? He might have. <laughs> But he's slamming everybody for showing the fuck up. I know I'm a chimp, that much is true, but I need my own fuck schedule. How about you? (laughs) I'm Mr. Muggs and Jim is a loon. I'm only here for the guy on a chimp poon. (laughs) Mr. Muggs is the hero of the story. He has to be. There's no other someone has to be. There's no other fucking heroes in the story. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna play two clips. The first one is Jim talking about what he would do to Tim Stone. And this one's important. It's only a minute, minute and a half long, but it shows it shows Jim's tactics all in one, in one minute. And then the second clip we're going to play is how they've said they would kill and torture their their family members. And that's and the laughter you hear on it is Jim Jones. And it's like absolute madness on tape. It's fucking ridiculous. I could kill him. I could really kill him. Literally kill him. He's a son of a bitch to do what he did to me, to this people, to do what he did. I don't give a goddamn to me because it's you that he can't hurt me. I wish it was just me and him. Goddamn his ass. I'd, I'd drive him crazy. But I've got to watch every move I take because it could hurt a Gene Brown or a Leona back there or a Guy Young or a whole host of other people, lots of people back there at Alice that need a chance, a Dennis that need a chance, on down the line of Louie Davis, on, 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 on. I'd get him tonight. Oh, I've got him. I've got the man that'll get him. All i got to do is say the word, go. I love those people too much. It's not worth it. His white ass ain't worth it. Let him live. Yeah, but the only one, one little catch to that. If he ever gets in a court of law, he can hurt you more. So Dad's always moving back and forth like the pendulum, wondering about it. It's not an easy decision. Well, I like to do the, my so-called mom, the bitch. She, she, hates, she hates purse snatchers. I would like to disguise myself and beat the bitch up and drag her ass. <laughs> drag her ass. I beat the bitch up. I beat the bitch up, I swear, and then I blow the motherfucking ass right off the earth. A lot of people like to do that myself. (laughs) 
we told him, we told him when she started shit, we were trying to make, you know, be nice and win people. We said, write a nice letter. <laughs> a fucking letter. It was a goddamn this letter. Had to rewrite it four times to get it to be nice. You fucking bitch, you don't mess with me, I'll kill you. <laughs> His mother. She, they gave, Sarah said they gave up on the fourth time, just let it go. He's J.J. Tumble. Person. <laughs> that's why. That's why I had to bail your ass out. <laughs> I think that I should um take a knife and cut Mr. Tupper all up real good. And, uh... <laughs> cut him up real good. And then make him look like you know um cut him up and then put poison him and invite all for all my relatives over there and have him eat him and then I'll die. <laughs> You've been talking to Reb. That's what you've been doing. My mom is a damn fool. Hope I, I hope I knock the fucking shit out of you. <laughs> you I'm glad I put my life on the line to save you. See, my mom is a goddamn fool. I beat the fucking shit out of her. I dare, I dare come out because I'll be the one that's, uh, I'm a shotter. Good. <laughs> My mama's a goddamn fool. These kids, not new. It's tough kids coming up here, honey. Uh, that second one is, both are pretty fucked up. Yeah. That second one is, is just disturbing how those people are talking about family members and relatives like that. Yeah. The guy's out of his mind with that fucking cackling. Yeah, that was really creepy and weird. Yeah, I mean, the first, the Tim Stone one is basically just to show that double speak where he's telling, keeping people off guard, saying, well, I could kill him, but he could hurt you if he got into the court. It's like, well, <laughs> right. you just said you could kill him. Right. So, and then he's doing the politician thing, just calling people out by name throughout yeah. the crowd. But yeah, that second one. He was saying a whole lot of nothing while saying like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like he didn't actually say anything. Right. But yeah, the second one is just. Yeah, like I said, it's like madness on tape. You know, yeah. people are starved, they're exhausted, and all they have to listen to all day is Jim Jones talking this way. So at this point when we're listening to these tapes, how long has everyone been there? I think that tape was from April. So that would be, Jim showed up in August of 77, and that tape, I believe that tape so was eight from... months? Yeah, I believe okay. that tape was August, or uh, April of 78. Okay. So... I mean, it's like, and that, like we were talking before we were recording. They were only eating two meals a day, which was rice and just a little bit of meat, and then working constantly. So everyone's right. starved and, yeah. and exhausted. Right. I bet Jim wasn't eating just that little bit. Oh no, he had, dude, he had um, all kind of snacks and shit <laughs> in his cabin, and he even had, he and he even had a mini fridge in his cabin with like Coke and shit. Coke, a fuck schedule, snacks. Yeah, yeah, great, Jim. Jim wasn't living that that socialist life that he was. That, Interesting. They yeah. never do do that. <laughs> Punishments took a major turn from what they were in the U.S. Because we said in the U.S. they would do those forced fight, you know, those forced fights where you had to fight someone that you couldn't beat 
or and the you, genital beating the cock on the table. Well, yeah, that, that sounded pretty bad. Yeah, that guy got that guy <laughs> fucked up big time. Unrecognizable, I believe, was the term that was used. Yeah, and then they would just scream each other down and and stuff like that. But now it was getting to the point where if you bitched about something like you didn't get as much food as someone else, you were put on the learning crew. That was your first step. The learning crew is just hard labor. There were like 12-hour work days that were just, you didn't get breaks. You were just hard labor the whole time. It's like Soviet re-education camps. <laughs> and um, you'd usually get on that for two to three days. And when that didn't work, you would get the the public beatings and getting screamed down. That's where the ball beating came, came in. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you still fucked up, there was a good chance that you were going to get put in the box and the box not was not the Jim Jones fuck schedule box. No, not Maria's box. <laughs> no, this was a six foot long, four foot wide box that was buried into the ground. Essentially, it's a casket. Yeah, and yeah, like a sensory deprivation thing. And yeah, they would be blindfolded and put in there. And there's a bunch of tapes throughout where the box is mentioned. Um, people being beaten, screamed at, using the dr- the jungle as punishment with the animals that were in there. You know, and we're going to play a few clips here where he's using, talking about a poisonous frog that they caught in the jungle that they'll throw in the box with someone. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a dick this yeah. guy is. You know, and then, yeah, like they use the, he always used the term the tiger out in the jungle that he would threaten people with, which I looked that up. They actually don't have tigers in Guyana. It's jaguars. But why would Jim Jones say something that wasn't true? (laughs) (laughs) That's a first. Yeah. And if all that stuff didn't work, then you would be taken to uh, Dr. Larry Schacht in what they called the special care unit. And basically you would be... Um, you'd be just drugged into a zombie-like state and just kept there. Which sounds better is than the being, best option. Yeah, one hundred percent in all of this. Yeah. That's what I want. Well, Absolutely. Those, unfortunately, those uh, those drugged people in the special care unit were the guinea pigs for the the flavor aid. I was just <laughs> going to ask what happened. What did they end up doing? So they would just shoot them up with the flavor aid to and, make sure and it then They would all die. Fine tuning the cyanide. But you know levels. what? Fine. I'd still rather be in a zombie-like state when that happens <laughs> than dealing with all this. Don't shit. suffer with all the pain. I'm going to play a couple more clips. Three of these clips are from a kid. He's 15 named Willie Malone. He's just, I mean, from listening to tapes, he doesn't really, he's not doing anything except smarting off. And I guess like a teenage kid, you know, just not one to do the work and whatever. But so he's threatened with the box and the frog and publicly beaten. And then we're going to get into a woman that was terrified of snakes that they put on her as punishment because nothing else worked. And and just to clarify in the one Willie Malone one, when they say being hostile to, to mother, he's talking about Marcelin because this kid's smarter off to Marcelin. In Jonestown, Marcelin was called mother. Well, she was called mother for a long time. But then when Jim got to Jonestown, he wasn't called father anymore. He was called dad. Everyone required, or he required everyone to call him dad. Interesting. So here's these That's clips. A nice little twist. And he said, like, only way you can survive, like, you've been in a box. And if you take off your clothes, keep on putting them back on, you never, you know, lose your head, nothing like that. And he thinks he's going to survive in the box. No, he's great, great, Dad. great punk. Um, we well, put him in the fucking box with a frog tonight. Then see if you can stay away from the frog. One touch of the fucking frog. How about that, Willie boy? Big old ganglang Willie boy. How about, how about, how about, how about going in the box tonight with the frog? Dan, um, how about the frog? Truthfully, why don't you get the frog? Why don't you put your hand in there with the frog? Dan, Come on, Willie boy, put your hand in there. 
Put your hand in there. Put your hand in there. Put your hand in there, Willie boy. We might as well be free from you. Nobody else see it. Nobody else see it. Thank you, Billy. I told you to, right? Dad, when you're talking about being a crazy... Got no problem. It's your problem. You touch a frog, you're dead. You can take anything. You take anything. How about it, Willie? How about it, Want to touch a frog tonight, Willie? You punk, you goddamn gangland punk. You've caused us trouble week after week, month after month. Got my blood pressure boiling, punk. You want the seniors? You want the seniors? Dad, really? John, uh, get out of the way. Let the seniors have it. All right, all right, all right. You want you want some more of the seniors? No, I appreciate better than these rest of these guys. You, oh, you want you want to keep you want to keep you want to keep being you want to keep being smart ass, huh? You want to keep being smart ass? I have put those people in charge, motherfucker. Willie Malone. Shoved Carol Kearns in the face yesterday, abusive and threatening, called her and Karen Lindo's name, loud and mouthy in the apartment this morning, taken to coordinator's office both times, hostile to Penny, and mother, and mother, and mother, did you give no shit to mother? Okay. Get away. Get away. Back him off. Back him off. Back him off. Give it to her. Give it to her. Give it to her. I'm sick of this shit. Let her deal with the motherfucker. If he wants to choke her to death, that's his business tonight. I'm tired of it. You said the same thing the last time. Turn around, look at the people. Turn around, look at the people. Talk to them. See if they will get the snake off your back. I never see promise I won't do it again. Please, please forgive me. Please forgive me. No one do it again. She, nothing else works for this woman. This only lasts six, seven days. If you fed it to her, maybe it might, that might work. I don't know. Okay. Okay. And mother, and mother, <laughs> and mother. So two, I have two questions on those tapes. One, who was doing the beatings? Everybody. They just, just like walk up there and just smack the shit out of him? Yeah, so him. the the first one of Willie getting beat up when he's saying, do you want some more of the seniors? 
he's letting the old people there beat him up with their canes and their walkers just beating the fuck out of him yeah and then the second one where he's where he talks shit to marcelin that it does it sounds like some woman in the group is beating on him someone else said stand up or whatever and yeah so and then what did the snake lady do she just complained about about the food she was getting like she wasn't getting enough food or whatever yeah motherfucker i'm starving out here (laughs) yeah how dare her be hungry yeah so the and then the yeah that snake clip and the frog clip are probably those are the two best examples on tape of do they really have a poisonous frog yeah Hmm. Yeah, he had it because poisonous it, frogs, Dave, are like uh, hypnosis. It's not real. Because <laughs> yeah, later in that, yeah, later in the recording, he says like when they're all yelling at, at Willie to put his hand in with the frog, then there's like a little scuffle sound, and Jim's like, "Oh shit, did the son of a bitch jump out?" So I mean, they really, they, yeah, they had the frog. <laughs> Yikes! So I mean, obviously those tapes are. I mean, it's terrible. And you would think that initially you could think like, why didn't people just leave? But like we talked about earlier, there really wasn't a way out. There was no way to get out of there. You know, you got the jungle. And in, and they technically weren't allowed to leave, right? Or no, absolutely they, not. Right. So they would have to sneak out, run away, either through a jungle yeah, um, or follow that path, but have to have a boat or a, a, a plane. Right. Correct, and there to- was armed people at the gates the so so they were almost imprisoned at this point yeah i think i'm taking my chances in the jungle i think i probably would too this is just out of control yeah i mean what I, you're not going to get out the gate obviously but there's so, nowhere for you to go once you get to port kaituma unless and, you had a boat or a, an airplane right but the jungle was to the train which took you where it would take the, but you would have to get lucky and be able to hop on a train or get them to to I get feel to like Georgetown. I, would, I feel like that would be my best. Yeah. I would do that, I think. But And it was also getting to the point where, you know, where Jim's sitting there talking about Tim Stone and stuff. And then he starts saying, well, betrayal, people that betray him should be killed. And you're like, well, wait a second. If, if, you know, if you defect, that's a betrayal. So what are you saying now? Are you saying that, that you're right. I'm going to be killed? No, you know? it's hard to put yourself in these people's uh Well, and the other thing to think of, too, spots. is like, like we had talked about, they're starved. They're famished. You're going to go five miles to the jungle or whatever, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the other thing too, is as soon as people got into Jonestown, all their passports were taken and kept in Jim's, uh, in Jim's cabin. Like when they, when they went in and were investigating everything afterwards, they just found hundreds and hundreds of passports in there. So you can always get to the embassy. Yeah. Well, that would be what you'd have to do. Sure. With avoiding all those court orders, in the U.S. for John Victor, a court order was now issued for Jim to appear in a Guyanese court. So Jim tried to get a hold of the Guyanese deputy prime minister to straighten it out, but the deputy prime minister was in the U.S. on business. So with Jim's paranoia, he thought that the deputy prime minister being in the U.S. had to do with the custody battle for John Victor, and he freaked out. Because everything's about him. So, of course, that's what he was doing in the <laughs> right. U.S. So, Jim decided it was an emergency to make his delusion real to the rest of the population of Jonestown. He had his son go out into the jungle and shoot at Jim's cabin. But this time, he was using real bullets. It wasn't blanks like he was doing back in San Francisco and shit. And Jim kept this a secret from everybody, including his security team. Who started? They started shooting back into the jungle. <laughs> so because he could have shot his son. Yeah. Well, he, why the fuck does he care? Right. He, Jim Jones doesn't care. So for the next six days, the Jonestown was was at war, or basically, you know, the followers at least thought they were. 
Jim told them that the Guyanese military were coming in to take John Victor. You know, we were already talking like trying to put yourself in that in that position of with the punishments and stuff. Now there's gunshots ringing out from the jungle. He's telling you the military's coming to take kids and stuff. And in a lot of these guns, people didn't even know were in Jonestown because he was smuggling these in, talking on the ham radio. They would call them Bibles. You got to think people are tired and all that, like we were saying. But well, now they're probably terrified. They think they're under attack. They're believing his bullshit. Right. Um, I mean, they believed it since day one. So why wouldn't they now that they've been beaten down and, and starved and whatever? Right. Um, so, yeah, that would be terrifying thinking that you're under attack. Right. And I and I and which I, then I think brings you closer to the cause and together. Oh, exactly. You're going to support him more because you see him as your your protector. Right. And yeah, and I, I skipped over um, a little bit earlier, but yeah, they were bringing in the the um, the guns through talking about them on the ham radio saying that they were Bibles. And he was so worried about the the CIA and this stuff with the the prime minister, the deputy prime minister leaving. But those weren't those weren't real. The only real stuff that he was facing were things like the Social Security Department holding checks from <laughs> for seniors and the FCC getting pissed off about him using the ham radio for business and stuff. Again, a fucking egomaniac. Like it's <laughs> right. it's just yeah, exactly. Me- meanwhile, people should be fucking coming after him, right? But he's blowing it up in his head like the whole country's coming after. After him, yeah, and they're not really thinking twice about him, right? So, yeah, they were they were all marched out to the pavilion and told that you know the government or the Guyanese military is coming. And after two days, when nothing happened, Jim told everyone they needed to get to Port Kaituma to take a boat to Cuba. So they all hiked to Port Kaituma, which, like we said before, is about a five mile five mile walk up, you know, to get there. This wasn't like a like a casual hike or anything. This was like a panicked like rush of, of like almost a thousand people trying to get out of there thinking that the military is coming for them. Yeah, I'm sure you need a machete to hack through the, the jungle. It's not it's, yeah, you it's know, thick. Wa- yeah, walking it's through a national park trail. Right. So so they got to they got to Port Kaituma and started getting on the boat, but an an elderly <laughs> lady fell and broke her hip. So Jim just called that off and said they needed to go back <laughs> oh, to Jonestown. <laughs> like, oh nope, you know what? It's safe now. Let's go back. Did they have any sort of a relationship or arrangement? <laughs> with Cuba nothing or, real like what was the real there was no plan then no no this he would always <laughs> say Cuba and he would say Russia and stuff but yeah. there was no reality to any of that <laughs> so, so when they got back to Jonestown Jim got on the ham radio with Marceline because she was still in the U.S. in San Francisco doing stuff he told her what was going on and what he thought the prime minister was doing he said we're all ready to die we're gonna do revolutionary suicide and she knew that that was a for real threat you know so she started busting her ass to figure out where this guy was and i don't know how she did it but she tracked the guy down and he was in indiana of all places in the u.s to be (laughs) why was the deputy prime minister of guyana in indiana at this time he was at the local hooters in fort wayne (laughs) relax about it he's got his reasons where jim jones was born and started all this crazy Um, but he he got on the ham with Jim and told him to just to calm down. Everything was fine. He was there on business that had didn't have to do with Jonestown. And so Jim just announced to his followers that they won. <laughs> didn't tell them what they won or right. how they, they won. won it. Just they won. Yeah. I did it. I saved you all. Yeah. This is just complete insanity. I'll go eat your rice. Yeah. I'm going to go drink some Coca-Cola and <laughs> eat some Twinkies in my cabin. 
But you got to think that was that lasted for six days of barely any sleep in this panic, you know. Yeah. And, they, and I, when I was watching um, that new documentary, the the one woman that was there for it, she said that they they had everybody was armed with like shovels and shit. Like everybody was ready to go. Um, it's just off the charts insanity. Yeah. So that it they started calling it the six day siege and. <laughs> It's like a major military operation. (laughs) And that was the first of many emergencies like that. And that Jim would eventually call the White Knights, which he, man, he was good at at naming stuff. You know, I mean, Jonestown kind of goes for itself, but the White Knights is, and it's N-I-G-H-T-S. It's, um... It's got that, it's like, I got this like spooky feel to it almost, you know, it's like, sounds kind of mysterious. It sounds real important just to me. I don't know. It just sound, it's just got this, this like eerie kind of like I'm, I'm an, I'm announcing a white night right now. You know, this sounds weird. Does it mean we're going to be up all night? Like what's the, uh, it's like the six day siege. It means that some shit's really going down. This isn't like, I mean, uh, why white night? Like, cause it's going to be light all night, meaning we're going to be up all night or something like that. I think he was throwing a little bit of the racial twist on it. Mm. Like the, the white knight, you know, who's like coming he's for the him. white knight. Well, no, cause no, it's like an NI the white, but what playing off the word, the wording of the white knight, like the knight in shiny armor, he's here to save you all, but mm. it's also just, it's a nighttime. We're going to talk about some shit that's serious now. That's different than my look, my newspaper readings or whatever it might be. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows why the fuck he named it that, you know? Right. He's probably just doing a bunch of fucking blow all night. Also, that was white night. Most likely, he had mounds of cocaine in his fucking room. (laughs) Was he friends with Betty Hill? (laughs) Ridiculous. But yeah, like you said, these weren't other. These weren't like other meetings. They were like that six day siege. But I mean, they didn't last for six days. But they were they were like that, and it was made completely clear during every white night that this could be the last night in Jonestown. That this this could be the time where he pulls out the the revolutionary suicide. I hate this fucking guy so much. <laughs> in one of the tapes, he he says that they've gone through eighty four white nights together. Oh my god! Can you imagine? And you don't know. I mean, who knows if he's talking shit? If that's an actual inaccurate mm-hmm. number or not? But the tapes are recovered by the FBI. There's sixteen tapes of white nights. So a year and three months, you do the six day siege and then you do 16 other white nights that are all night events being completely panicked. Yeah. I mean, 16 is more than enough. You're just you know? constantly yeah. keeping people on edge and terrified. Yeah. Um, Whenever you feel like you're losing them, call a white night, make up some bullshit reason why. Yeah. And then they're back in the palm of your hands. And, and a lot of them were, were he got a summons from, from the court over John Victor, and he would call White Knight and say they're gonna come in here and take him. Right, the CIA, the yeah. FBI. It's just a fucking custody thing, dude. So where was Mister Muggs through all of these? Like, where mm-hmm. was he during these White Knight? I will tell you through the through the power and the science of Necronomopod, we have Mister Muggs here in the studio with us. Tonight. Really, our first in studio guest, and I believe he's available to answer questions. I'm I, I I'm willing to translate for Mister Muggs. Well, that's awesome because uh, I have a few things I'd like to ask him. He's open to taking your questions. Mr. Muggs, thank you for joining us. It's it's pretty phenomenal that after what you've been through and what Jim Jones put you through, that you were able to make it back here today to sit here and be with us <laughs> in studio. Our first studio guest at Necronomapod is Mr. Muggs. We might have to call this the Mr. Muggs studio moving forward. I'm going to get right to it. Mr. Muggs, the question people want to know. 
Were you ever on Jim's fuck schedule? Um, we might need some translation, Dave. <laughs> I'm going to translate Mr. Muggs He's really upset. You. What did he say? He said, Jim would call me if he ever had a no-show and maybe give him a hand job. He called it a mug job. <laughs> Fucking hilarious, right? Asshole. Wow. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Mug job. Mug job. <laughs> Not a tug job. A mug job. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We, I know he's. You got very limited time. What's your favorite kind of flavor aid? Man, he's fired up. He said, "I'm a lemon lime kind of chimp. I don't go for that grape shit." But look where the fuck that got me. <laughs> it's true. Did you even get to try any of that? I don't think you did. I don't think it did either. Yeah, the good stuff, at least. Uh, Mr. Muggs, where's the strangest place Jim ever put his dick? <laughs> All right, Mr. Muggs said, you mean besides Mr. Muggs' little chimp hands? <laughs> I did see that fucker stirring the vat of flavor with his cock on the final day, oh, so no. there's that, I guess. <laughs> That's terrible. What a twist to this whole story. It's cockade. Oh, enlightening. All right. I won't take up too much more of your time. Uh, Mr. Muggs, did you ever like get to hook up with any uh, chimp strange in the Guyana jungle? <laughs> Mr. Muggs said, that's the only reason I came down to this shithole. Some sweet Guyana chimp poon. Then this asshole has me working all day, building this fucking compound. It sucked. I just wanted to fuck. I wanted a fuck schedule for me, Mr. Muggs. I yeah, I don't blame you, man. That's You put in a lot of work, a lot of effort, and they really messed it up by bringing all those people down. Um, one last question for you, Mr. Muggs, before we let you go. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, did Jim ever, in fact, meet you at the Rainbow Bridge? Mr. Mugg said, the Rainbow Bridge looked like a fucking petting zoo when I got there. Jim was the last one to arrive, and we ate that motherfucker. There we go. <laughs> Mr. Muggs, thank you so much for being with us. Dave, thanks for translating all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. It's through the power of Necronomapod, I'm able to uh, wow. understand what Mr. Mr. Muggs is saying there. Just... He never got his chance for like a farewell after he was uh, unceremoniously disposed of. Yeah. And we gave him that last hurrah today. Glad he could and join us. The fi- the, those were, I think, the five questions that people wanted to know the most. I mean, if you look through, uh, you know, all the different message boards and the Reddit sites, that's what always pops up if you search, what would you want to know from Mr. Muggs? And now we know. Yeah. That's where we the pull those truth. questions from. So, Mr. Muggs, thank you so much for uh, for being with us tonight. You got all kind of abilities from uh, from doing this podcast See? with us, remote viewing, What's coming translating that, Mr. Muggs. With all that extra Necronomic cash we're rolling in, <laughs> we're able to afford all these uh, all this technology. The Guyanese government wasn't the only connection Jim had that he was worried about. There was also a Russian ambassador staying in Georgetown that would receive constant contact because Jim was looking for possible asylum if he needed it. And Russia did give Jim a little bit of attention, and they sent the ambassador there to do an inspection, but they had no intention of really of really taking the People's Temple members in, ever. 
Why would they? Yeah. They, they, they don't need yeah, that hassle. Yeah. The only thing that the ambassador said when he... Um, when he went there was that Jonestown was more socialist than Russia, that they should be taking lessons <laughs> from Jim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so with pressure mounting from the conserved relatives pushing the U.S. to do something, Jim got more paranoid with the whole FBI and CIA thing. But like I said earlier, in reality, it was just the FCC cracking down on him, customs checking stuff that was going in. There was no real threat from the FBI or the CIA. Because he's a little pissant, you know, and what do they care what he's fucking doing? I mean, I think if Well, he, at this point, they might, they should care probably that he's about to kill a thousand people but, or have but, a... Back then, they didn't. They didn't know. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm religious guy right. in Guyana. Like, so what? Yeah. Like, if this guy would just gave up the fucking kid back to Tim. He's an and egomaniac the, and a you know. drug addict, and thinks that the whole world is is looking after and looking out to get him. Just stay in the jungle and 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 do blow and live your you know yeah. socialist life. There's not really a big problem here. I mean, I think if he would have if he would have played stuff straight in the U.S. And didn't have that all the crazy shit going on, and there would have yeah. never been the New West article. I think he probably would have gotten the FBI's radar eventually because they had a Huey Newton and stuff on the radar, and you know they were looking into the I'm Black. I'm sure Panthers. they were watching them. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean that. Yeah, right. of course they were. But, but they would have. I think if he would have stayed in the U.S. and kept doing what he was doing, they probably would have started to pay more attention to him. Yeah, but. But he wasn't this huge focus, I don't think. It, that's just the paranoia. No. So on February 18th, 1978, this is where one of his dark his white nights took an extremely dark turn. Jim told everyone that the CIA had, infiltr- had infiltrated the Guyanese government and soldiers were now gathering at Port Kaituma, blocking off any exits from Jonestown. So Jim decided it was time for revolutionary suicide and the assistants brought out vats filled with flavor aid and everyone was instructed to drink the people who i thought it was kool-aid no <laughs> come on <laughs> what flavor was it because mr Muggs, he didn't like the grape it was grape motherfucker it's probably why they blew his fucking head off <laughs> oh poor guy <laughs> but people that were against the suicide were brought up to the front of the line at gunpoint and that just set the set the the um tone yeah that there wasn't going to be a choice it was yeah. aggressive when like, it, yeah we're gonna you're either gonna do this with us or we're gonna make you do it with us right either way you're gonna die yeah like he said in his last his previous tests back in the u.s that it would take 45 minutes and after the 45 minutes passed jim told him it was just another test and everyone passed He's the boy that cried wolf yep. every time. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, at this point, who knows if it's a test or not. But, yeah. I mean, this one got a lot realer with taking people up by at gunpoint and forcing them to drink. I mean, just the, the stress level you're at after going through that over and over again is, is yeah it's ridiculous. That mixed with those white knights, mixed with that six-day, what is it, the six-day brigade? The six-day siege. I mean, siege. all of it. I'm taking my chances in the jungle. I'm getting the fuck out of there. Psh, I there, kill I mean, a fucking panther. There were people. What do you say, jaguar? Jaguar, yeah. I can kill one of those, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there were people that tried to defect through the jungle, but they um, nine times out of ten, they were tracked down, mm. and they brought them back and put them in leg irons. Man. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean... It, 
it's a tough spot. Yeah. Yeah. And it, there's tapes on him talking about what to do with defectors, what is going to happen to you if you try to defect, stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and we brought up Debbie Layton before, but she had um, she had been able to defect through Georgetown. And once she got back into the U.S. and joined the concerned relatives, she started doing TV interviews talking about the poison test because she was there for for the white knight that had the the poison test with people at gunpoint. Mm. That caught the attention of Congressman Leo Ryan. And he already had the People's Temple on his radar from Bob Houston's death that we talked about in the last episode. That's the guy that got hit by the train. Right. And his dad was the AP photographer. Right. So with all the with the concerned relatives pushing and and now Debbie Layton talking about this stuff, uh, Leo Ryan decided in November 1978 that he needed to to go down to Jonestown and and see what was going on for himself. And and it wasn't a surprise thing. It was Leo Ryan sent this letter weeks in advance, letting Jim know he was coming. And so along with Leo Ryan, it was two staffers, nine members of the media, and 13 members of the concerned relatives were going to be coming to Jonestown. Why no security team? Yeah, so I think that I think that Leo Ryan was expecting to come to Jonestown, be told to fuck off, that he wasn't coming in, and then he would just go back to the U.S. and open a congressional hearing. Okay. I'm not, I don't think, I'm not saying that he didn't actually want to do anything. I think he really did care about it. But he thought he had to go down first, get rejected, and then start the wheels in motion kind of thing. Right. I don't think he ever expected that they were actually going to let him in. Okay. And and initially, Jim had no intentions of letting Leo Ryan in, but he was convinced by Marcelin to let them, to let them come in. Marcelin didn't want to see anybody die. And I, I think she figured this was the best chance to avoid this this revolutionary suicide that, that Jim had kept been talking about and testing and stuff. Because if Leo Ryan saw it was good, then it would it would ease the paranoia of, of Jim Jones. And realize he could, maybe they're not out to get him. He, right. he just calmed this guy's concerns and he took away the, the people who didn't want to be there and that would be it. Yeah. And then they could just keep on living down there. Right. And she wasn't there for the for the first white night, the the six day siege. You know, she she came about halfway through and by the time she got there, shit was way off the rails already. <laughs> yeah, but and all of her any power she had had already been taken away when she was when they were still in the US. Carolyn Layton, Maria Katsaris, and Annie Moore were already given all the power, you know. She just tried to to slow things down, I guess, you know, behind the scenes and but it, by this time it was just too far gone. The women that all had the power were 100% convinced that dying was the only option, that there was no way out of this situation. I, I, I guess there, there wasn't really a situation to get out of, though. That's what's so hard about to understand. Absolutely not. There's, you're living in the jungle in this agrarian kind of socialist community. Just relax. It's just drug-filled paranoia. No one paranoia. gives a fuck yeah. what you're doing. I, yeah. No, they, I mean, they would have been just fine. Right. But then they start believing his shit. And well, and then he's staging like these shootings and stuff. So they think that they're under attack. Yeah. And I mean, and recovered by the FBI that Carolyn wrote a document that was titled Analysis of Future Prospects where she outlined all the reasons why Jonestown had absolutely no chance of survival. And there down in the document, there was a, a section titled A Final Stand If Decided On, which she detailed how the mass suicide would be most effectively carried out if shit went bad with Leo Ryan. <laughs> so and she, she was, was giving pilled out of her mind when she wrote all this, too. I, 
I I think she was completely sober. Why? Have you read this document? Um, I've glossed over it. The final stand thing she talks about, well, maybe we can line everybody up and just shoot everybody. Maybe we can make a, uh, a guillotine and just start chopping people's heads oh off. My like, God. it's fucking crazy. So before Leo Ryan arrived, Marceline uh, talked Jim into letting his son Stephen and Jim Jr. go to Georgetown to play in a basketball game. They were part of a basketball league there. And this allowed Stephen and Jim Jr. not to be there while while Leo Ryan was there. And people debate if it was just a coincidence or if Marceline saw the writing on the wall and, and got who she could get out of there. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. No, I think she knew. <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely. she knew shit was going down. And she figured these were the only two that she could get out. And if yeah. she could get them out, then good. That's right. So when Leo Ryan arrived, they were greeted at Port Kaituma by People's Temple members. And the only people that were allowed to enter Jonestown was Leo Ryan, one of his aides, and eight members of the media. The ninth member of the media was someone from the National Enquirer, which Jim had uh, he had a major problem with the National Enquirer for whatever reason, and they wouldn't let that guy in. I agree with that decision. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. So and when they when they got there when they walked in they were it looked like an absolute paradise they had been busting ass to get everything ready and make it look perfect and Jim it, leading up to this too on the tapes he he's rehearsing questions with people like how they should answer questions and stuff and he's using his, making sure they're prepared to look as well as they could yeah and he's using what he called his um his reporter voice <laughs> where he's oh, like boy. he's talking like is that a, like my radio voice kind of yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> All right, we're back. Welcome, everybody. This is Mikey Mike, your host, sitting here with Easy Ian and Double D Dave, rocking you all night long on WNBC. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's crazy because the, the tapes, too, with that, he's he's questioning. He's like, it's like, I heard you you put people in boxes down here. He's like, is that true? And the guy's like, no, we don't do anything like that. He's in, but he's like, <laughs> well-rehearsed answer. <laughs> no, we don't do anything like that. <laughs> well, and Jim corrects him. He's like, you know, you need to be more, you know, shocked. Hey, shocked shock a snake on him, threw him in a box, and then asked him how to answer the question. <laughs> but it's like, he's telling them to say how crazy it is the punishments, how crazy they are, but it's like you are doing that to people. It's like you're changing people's reality at that point. Mm -hmm. But that night they had a huge dinner and it wasn't their normal shitty bowl of rice with a tiny bit of meat. They went out and, and slaughtered some pigs and made this whole pork dinner. And then they followed up dinner by people talking about how much they loved it in Jonestown and, and it was great there. And then afterwards there was a performance by the Jonestown Express so we haven't talked about them. Yeah, it was like an R&B, R&B, like soul group. Were they good? Yeah, they were super good. Huh. Yeah. yeah. There's there's tapes. I mean, as good as R&B music can be. It looks like Earth, there's Wind, there's and Fire type stuff. That. It's like Earth, Wind, and Fire type stuff for back then. Okay. Earth, Wind, and Fire is pretty good. Yeah, it's good shit. Yeah, I wish there was something that existed of the Jonestown Express besides a tape from the FBI. Damn. No. Doesn't buy their greatest hits. Well, they have the People's Temple Choir on vinyl. You can yeah. find those floating around. <laughs> really? How much yeah. those go for? A lot. What's more expensive, a People's Temple vinyl or one of those portraits of Jim Jones that per gives you protection? <laughs> I don't know. It'd probably be about the same price, I bet you. I would say the vinyl would probably have to be more. 
I guess it depends. No one uh, probably depends on if it's sealed vinyl or not. doesn't protect you. No one hit us up on whether or not they wanted uh, our headshots signed. We got no responses <laughs> on that. People want no pictures of us, so cancel our photo shoot. I don't blame them. I purchased a thousand headshots and I've signed five hundred of them so far. <laughs> Well, if anybody wants them, our prick audience. Dave's gonna... selling in bulk. <laughs> and now he's insulting the audience. <laughs> now nobody's ever going to want. They'll throw darts at him, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, no pictures then, I guess. No one wants them. <laughs> now we're going to sit here and sulk. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you go back on the, the NBC footage archive from this, because I mean, they had camera crews filming all this stuff. You can see the Jonestown Express. Uh, performance of it's pretty cool but so after that leo ryan got on the microphone and he gave positive feedback on what he was seeing what what he saw was was all good it was it looked great yeah but and um and people just started cheering crazy and and there's opinions on you know from people that were there look people um his his one aide that was there looking back on it she said that it almost seemed rehearsed and then i've heard other people say that it sounded like a victory like okay this is we he's cool with us now we can relax finally you know one of leo ryan's aides you mean yeah uh, jackie spire yeah jackie yeah i i I had no like she's a congresswoman from california now and i i see her in congressional hearings and stuff i had no idea she was involved in this and i was reading it yeah and she actually yeah was 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 down here with leo ryan right damn yeah and she she is the one she's the one that said it sounded to looking back on it to her it sounded rehearsed right but then like i said then there's other people that say it, like it sounded like a victory almost like you know yeah we we did it we can all chill out now so all this all this good stuff's going on everybody's all happy and then Ver, a member of the people's temple vernon gosney passed a note to nbc's don harris that said vernon gosney vernon gosney and monica bagsby please help us get out of jonestown vernon was trying to be sly about it but he got nervous and dropped the note while he was trying to pass it and a kid near him started yelling out he passed a note he passed a note a little punk <laughs> Well, yeah. all the kids were trained to rat on people. Yeah, Everybody sure. was trained to rat on people in Jonestown. You couldn't, from you know, watching stuff with people that survived, just saying you couldn't trust anybody because if you said something, then someone would go back and you'd get brownie points for for telling on somebody. Yeah, that's how those cults are. They did exactly. not live by the motto of snitches get stitches. <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, Jim, one hundred percent, had to have known that Vernon Gosney passed that note. But he didn't say anything, didn't he didn't do anything about it that night. And the media members went back to Port Kaituma to sleep while Leo Ryan and um Jackie, how do you say her last name? Spire. Spire. Jackie Congresswoman Jackie Spire. Yeah, Jackie Spire. They went and um her and Leo Ryan stayed in Jonestown that night and with word of the note getting passed, people started seeing that sh- that shit was was gonna go south here. And eleven members decided to defect through the jungle that night. They were just like, mm. "We're getting the fuck out of here," because it was about to go down. Yeah, and we'll touch on that right after this. We like to drink beer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A lot of it. 
After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than just brew coffee. With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, raise your standards. Check them out in social media and remember, they roast, you just brew. Check out their new online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the day itself. On uh, November 18th, 1978, when Leo Ryan woke up early in the morning, he was almost immediately met with people who wanted to get out of Jonestown. Because um, word spread, right, that the note got passed and yeah. everyone else was trying to... And the 11 people defected overnight. Mm-hmm. And Jim Jones didn't come out of his cabin until noon. And as soon as he came out, he was told about the defectors that left overnight and that there were full families now that wanted to leave. Um, People were taking their kids and leaving spouses behind. Members started screaming at the defectors. And you can see that on the NBC News footage. People are screaming, you can't take my kids. And it just turned into absolute chaos. And then the NBC film crew cornered Jim Jones for a grueling interview with Don Harris that lasted for like, 30 to 45 minutes where he just grilled Jim Jones about Mm. the fact that people were leaving, you know, why they wanted to leave. Like, what are you hiding and stuff? What did Jim say? Uh, He he played it off like with Vernon Gosney because Vernon was leaving and um, the woman, she was basic. She was more like a caretaker of his kid. Didn't want to leave. And so Jim was like, well, then why is this kid guy leaving his kid here? You know, and stuff like that. He really wasn't nothing of substance. So as everybody was fighting, Leo Ryan was trying to figure out how to get people out of there because he he didn't have a plan for that. Like I said before, I think he was just expecting to get turned away and then and then open up a congressional hearing. And at minimum, he wasn't I mean, he didn't have a plan for any of this because they only had the one plane. He didn't have much of a plan at all. No. As they were, as he was trying to figure stuff out, a massive storm blew in, and Tim Carter, that's that's one of the survivors from that day, he said that it felt like evil blowing into Jonestown. So now you've got all these people stuck in this pavilion with this crazy storm. Everybody's fighting and shit. Jim's getting questioned by NBC. It's just it, absolute chaos. So by the time the storm passed, 15 people had decided to leave. And along with the 11 overnight, the number was only 26. It wasn't that many people. Yeah, out of 1,000, 26. Yeah. Right. And I mean, and, and I'm assuming there was a lot of people scared to say anything else, but it was 26. And Jim had his lawyers, two lawyers there in Marcelin, and they all thought that that was great. Because they yeah, there weren't five hundred people running up and trying to get out of there, right? Because they the lawyers figured they had the estimate being higher than I mean this was like a, a victory for them, you know. Now they're Leo Ryan's going to go back and say, well, twenty six people wanted to leave, everybody else was happy, so there's nothing much to do. You know, Jim didn't see it that way. 
one defector was enough for him. He does not like failure. No. So, I mean, and this is the most defection that, you know, at one time than he, that he's ever had. You know, he would freak out over one. Now there's 26. And right. it just it was too much for him to handle mentally. So with that, Jim, Jim Jones decided this was going to be the final white night. The plan was to put Larry Layton, which was Carolyn Layton's ex-husband, Jim St- just straight up stole Carolyn from him. Larry Layton. That's the guy we said it's like Dwight on Walking Dead, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to not replace her and you're going to get an iron inside of your fucking face. So the plan was that Larry Layton would pose as a fake defector and as soon as the plane was in the air, he would shoot the pilot in the head and bring the plane down. But now that there was more defectors... Leo Ryan was figuring out a plan. He got on the radio at Georgetown and had them send out another plane. So now there's two planes and he couldn't guarantee that Larry Layton would be on the same plane as Leo Ryan. And then at the last minute, Leo Ryan decided he was going to stay behind in case anyone else wanted to leave. So everyone's leaving Jonestown to take these defectors back to the plane. And Leo Ryan was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm staying. I'm going to see if anybody else is coming with me. You think he senses any danger at this point? I don't know. It's like, like, like is this red brigade? I thought that the first time I was looking at these notes, I was thinking like, why the fuck would you go down there? But then again, we're looking back in retrospect. And like, like you guys said, he probably wasn't expecting to get in. Yeah. You know, in this, this much access and this close. With that much chaos, I think you have to sense a little bit of danger. Yeah, was this Red Brigade... Why can't I say this fucking word? Red Brigade, the armed Red Brigade following him around? I mean, did Leo no, there was, see them? No, there was I, none of that going on. I also thought the same thing when he ate dinner with them. Like, yeah. what if they're trying to poison you? And you're going to sleep there when everyone else left. Like, that's... Either he didn't sense it or he was just he was ballsy and wanted to maybe he wanted to get some sense of fear so that he can use that for his congressional hearing. I don't know. Or he was just he just may be a brave dude. Well, like we were talking before while we were on break, while we weren't recording, he had heard that there is bad shit going on in one of the prisons in his district back in the US and he got himself I heard you yeah, saying this, yeah. Yeah, he got himself thrown into jail anonymously to see what was going on there so right he's just a ballsy dude and that's when i was looking up the photos of him that wasn't during one of my 19 piss breaks tonight <laughs> i think he just <laughs> a peek behind the curtain was a little bit br- too brave for his own good here in this situation mm, all the good ones are hey, he's an american hero yeah i didn't know a lot about him i'm gonna look this guy up uh, I like yeah i mean he was going hard he was going hard on the cia at this time trying to figure out what they were doing and I mean, he really, he's one of the few that actually... You think there's was, a few books written about him? There's got to be something. Maybe. Yeah. I'm just curious to whether he spotted the danger or not. <clears throat> Sounds like he didn't and could have made you know made a phone call and got some sort of backup on yeah. the scene. I don't know. I Well, it would take a long time for somebody to get there. Because you have to fly in from plane or take a boat. I suppose. How does that make him look if he's bringing in protection? And he's coming down here to like see these people who don't have protection. I think I think I think he could be one of those people that if if he truly cared, he wanted to show, hey, I'm just like you. I'm here. I want to help you. I think him coming with protection <clears throat> makes him look different. Maybe makes him look not approachable. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that. enough about him. I'm literally learning this as we go tonight. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's hard to read this the situation on the ground. I sure, guess. that's why I, w- I was. I would like to look into him more. 
Because, I mean, throughout the story, we've heard about this Red Brigade who's armed and following Jim around all the time. Like, were they in hiding during this yeah, they time? Every, they, all the guns were put away, yeah, everything. That makes yeah. sense. All the, all the, quote, Bibles were yeah. put away. It just seems like you would sense an underlying danger here, I guess. But maybe not, you know? Well, so coming out of this, I want to read the biography of Leo Ryan and the autobiography of Mr. Muggs. So... <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. My follow up to this episode. <laughs> Get ready for a bonus episode. Mike's I'm review not sure on those Mr. books. Mo- Mr. Muggs uh, had time to write his autobiography. I, Mr. Muggs was a workaholic, though. And they can't con- they can't build at night because of the jungle cats. So when he wasn't con- being the, 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 the head uh, foreman there... He had to do something at night. I think he was writing his memoirs. I think he was a fucking guy on a chimpoon. <laughs> well, he was doing not as much as he would have liked, as he made clear to us. <laughs> so it's not clear on whether or not Jim Jones gave the orders or not. But um, a guy named Don Sly, who once he got to Jonestown, had changed his name to Ujara, walked up to Leo Ryan and said, "Motherfucker, it's time for you to die." And he held a knife to Leo Ryan's neck, but he hesitated and he was wrestled away by Tim Carter and Jim's lawyer, Mark Lane. And in the process, Ujara cut his hand and it sprayed Leo Ryan with blood. So when you see the pictures of Leo Ryan with blood, it's from Ujara's hand. So at this point, do you think Leo Ryan senses some danger? Oh, yeah. After he He beats it the fuck out of here after this. Yeah, there's video of him. The NBC video has him coming out of there. He's got a shirt unbuttoned. He's got blood on his shirt. And he's walking up to the... He caught up with the... um, with the tractor trailer with everybody leaving and it's like let's get the fuck out of here so on jim's command he sent the red brigade his security team to go kill leo ryan and he got on the ham radio and called georgetown because they had like a mini embassy set up there like the people's temple had this like mini office thing and he gave them the, the following code a lot of people have gone to see mr frazier i think mrs brownfield has offered to help all right. So, and translated, that means people are dead and it's time for revolutionary suicide. And there's an interesting tape, too, that has um, the American embassy, um, two guys, I can't remember their names, from the American embassy trying, they intercepted that code. Hmm. And they're like, "What? this is something. This is code for something. What the fuck does this mean? And they're like on the phone trying to figure this out. It's, a, it's an interesting phone call to listen to. Hmm. I bet. So his son, Stephen, and Jim Jr. were at the People's Temple office in Georgetown when that call came in, and they knew exactly what it meant. And Sharon Amos, one of Jim's most loyal followers, was there and relayed the message to San Francisco. Wait, is that the ugly girl that couldn't get on the fuck schedule? No, no. No, Patty's in Jonestown. Patty, (laughs) sorry, Patty. How old at this point are Stephen and Jim Jr.? 20s. Okay. So they're they're adults. Yeah. So who's Sharon? What's she doing at the uh, she, what's she doing in Georgetown? She just ran she was like head of that office in George okay. in Georgetown. So Steven got on the radio and he, he stayed on the radio all night with, with San Francisco, making sure that nobody that nobody else went through with this. So do we know how many people were in San Francisco? You know, I'm not sure. I, I think he was like About thousands, right? No, I mean, because all these people had their own houses and, and things, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people. But he, he was making sure that this didn't go out to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's on interviews and stuff saying that he wanted to get to get back there and, and stop it. But there's no airplane, there's no boat and he didn't have any weapons either. So and he knew that 
that his dad had all these armed people around him that would that would fight for it. So yeah. they shot at him in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so while he while him and Jim Jr. were were trying to figure everything out and talk on the radio and and get everybody you know to try and get everyone to relax, Sharon Amos snuck into the bathroom with her three kids and a man named Chuck Beekman and slit her kids' throats and three kids. She had three kids. She slit all three of their throats and then slit her own throat. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. What about Chuck? Um, he was he was actually arrested and charged with those with all those uh wow. good with that because he didn't stop it. Hmm. What was his purpose? Like what did she bring him in for? I don't know. I guess we wouldn't know. Like she, wouldn't, she wouldn't. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they were I, in that. Maybe he was supposed to kill himself too, and he he cowered it out of it. It's like I that doesn't look fun. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't want do this. That. That's a fucking brutal way, especially oh. doing it to your own throat. Oh. But doing it to your kids. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'd rather do it to myself. But that, yeah, terrible. Yeah, and and something I didn't know too that was in that uh, Terror in the Jungle documentary was Jim Jr. said that their niece was in there with them, and they broke down the door in time as she was in, in time to save her, and that she still has a huge scar on her no neck. Oh shit! Yeah. Back at Port Kaituma, Leo Ryan had had been able to catch up with everybody and and was unharmed. One plane was already boarded with people, including Larry Layton. And as Ryan was boarding the second plane, the Red Brigade pulled up and started opening fire on the congressman and the reporters. Down the runway, there were three Guyanese soldiers guarding a broken-down Guyanese airplane and just watched it as it went down. And I, I could see where they're coming from on that. I mean, if like, I'm one of those Guyanese soldiers, I'm kind of like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I'm not getting involved in this American bullshit. Yeah, gringo like, shooting gringo. Yeah, I'm good. Fuck that. Like, yeah. this is this could be a an international dispute or something. You yeah, know, I'm like, of fuck, course. I'm not getting involved in this. How many people, how many shooters in the Red Brigade? Like, what are we talking about? There's mixed. It's like six or eight. Six or eight? Yeah. Okay. Larry Layton took the cue from the Red Brigade and started firing inside the plane that he was in, and that was mainly defectors. He wounded Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagsby, who were the people that passed the note, and then he aimed the gun at another defector's face, and the and the gun clicked and misfired, and mm. they were able to wrestle it and get away from him. But he didn't even have to do that. He was His purpose was to be on the plane with Leo Ryan and take that down. He didn't have to start shooting all the defectors and stuff. I mean, he took that upon himself. Like, he was supposed to wait till they were airborne shoot the pilot. Right. right. Take the whole plane down and kill yeah. the congressman. And the main yeah. thing was to kill Leo Ryan. He wasn't even going to be on the same plane as Leo Ryan. He didn't have to do any of what he decided to do. Dick. So the Red Brigade, they had left five dead. It was Leo Ryan, NBC's Don Harris, and NBC's sound man Bob Brown, uh, newspaper photographer Greg Robinson, and Temple defector Patty Parks. Not the fuck schedule Patty. Another, oh. Another <laughs> Patty. <laughs> That's too bad. And then, <laughs> and then there was nine more wounded. And they you could tell who they were instructed to kill because they went up and made sure that the the reporters were dead and especially Leo Ryan because they went up and shot him multiple times including close range at his face to make sure back in Jonestown everyone was calmly called to the pavilion and people would just assume that Jim wanted to talk about what had happened that day because he was really calm he wasn't wasn't freaking out but as everyone got there armed guards surrounded everybody at the pavilion and jim started recording the death tape 
and if anybody listens to the death tape it has this like just like this kind of ghostly music in the background and there's a lot of stuff out there saying that jim started playing music and there's like a lot of a lot of shit like that out there that or there was like a choir singing it's just because they reused tapes and it, it was a tape that had music on it and it had been reused multiple times that's weird yeah I mean, it just sounds, it's like, well, you listen to the yeah, tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's strange. It's got that real, like, warped kind of music yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's creepy. So, as Jim spoke, Dr. Larry Schock got the poison flavor aid ready. And Grape, right? Grape? Yeah. God. Mr. Muggs, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> Where was Mr. Muggs at this point? I don't think we want to know the answer to that question, Dave. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know when exactly the animals were killed, but... <laughs> All all of them were killed. Larry Schacht had been working on this for months. And like we said before, there were the people that were drugged into the the zombie state in the special care unit. They were were the guinea pigs for this, trying to figure out how much it would take to to kill someone. So they killed the, they killed people testing it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? Fuck, man. Yeah. All those people sent to get drugged, zombied up. And this is just a crazy, a crazy statistic on it. All it took to kill all these people was one pound of cyanide, which they had the receipt for. It cost them eight dollars and eighty-five cents. Yeah, it's cheap to kill a thousand people. Yep, almost a thousand. Mm. So, and on and on the tape, you can hear it as as reality starts to set in and it and people are starting to see what is what's about to happen um this this woman christine miller got on the microphone and and started to protest the suicide and she asked jim why they couldn't go to russia like he promised he was able to get around the fact that it was never an option because members that were close to him were shouting her down um then the red brigade returned with the news that leo ryan was dead and with that, Larry Shock brought up the vat to the side of the stage with syringes filled with the flavor aid, and the children were to go first. And parents that protested were forced by armed guards, and with the syringes being shot into the mouths of their kids. And they, they, and you can hear Jim on the tape too, give them the choice if they want to go with their child or not. Is it really suicide if you force them to do it? That's why I was mm-hmm. saying in the first episode that hopefully, you know. I was able to convince you guys that it wasn't a mass suicide, like like it's portrayed. Even the people that went that went willingly, they've been fed this shit for a year in the jungle. There's a lot of people on that tape willing to do this, though. There are a lot of people that, but th- okay, so think about the tape, though. There's a handful of people that are professing their love for Jim up until the end, but yeah. out of 909, that's only a handful of people. So if we're talking. So here's my whole problem with this thing. They're essentially murdering their kids in front of them. Mm-hmm. And there's six to eight Red Brigade armed guards. No, the, the, that whole thing was filled with like people that were extremely loyal to him that were willing to do this. Was sur- That whole thing was surrounded. But I, I guess if it's me, and I, I do have a hard time putting myself in this situation, but even if there's an armed guard, do you not at least try to like attack the guard? It doesn't seem like they did anything. Well, you can... I mean, I mean, you can hear people in the tape screaming like, and him yeah, saying but screaming like, and protesting is one thing but do you think they i mean they might have been fighting i don't you don't yeah, i mean who knows yeah, yeah. Just I, mean, I, I, I understand what dave's saying too like i would be shot i would not kill my kid yeah. i would be shot because i would charge them or do something right i would exactly. be holding my kid and i would just go after them yeah and then shoot like us i'm going down, down fighting i'm right. not going I'm down not gonna, watching i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't be able to poison my kid yeah or, or myself too. That so that would be. I would I mean, just it, go down being shot 
Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to determine that you know what actually happened based on an audio tape, right? Yeah. So I I don't know. I just I mean the the, yeah. I mean you're not sticking a syringe in my kid without me attacking right somebody. It's just not gonna happen. And maybe that did happen, and could that have gotten just cut out? Well, the tape has tons of edits on it, and the tape's only forty five minutes long, and it was estimated that this took four hours. So maybe it did. So something could have, I mean, it's very likely something broke out and Jim Jones turns off the recording yeah. and deals with it, does whatever, and then turns it back on. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into in a little bit here, uh, you know, what some of the survivors said happened. Okay. There are different accounts of things. Quite frankly, I probably go at Jim Jones and I stick something aside of his neck. Yeah. 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 So, in, you know, regardless of what he says on the tape, how it's painless and Maria Katsaris says it's painless. Cyanide poisoning causes you to have convulsions and your mouth fills up with a foam that's a mixture of saliva, vomit, and blood, and you just suffocate (laughs) from the inside out. And it takes like five to 20 minutes to die. And it's like you said, it's it is crazy with the tape that while this is happening, there are still some people that are talking about how great Jim Jones is and how how great the revolutionary suicide is. I I don't revolutionary suicide. I don't know. I don't. And I looked it up from the last I think it was the last episode we talked about. It It was Huey Newton. Yeah, it was the Huey Newton book. Yeah, but. I don't know. I don't know what you're accomplishing here. Well, I th- because on the tape too, he keeps saying the GDF, the Guyanese government, they're going to come in and they're going to they're going to they're going to kill everyone. He's I mean, he's saying that on the tape. So, and everybody's been groomed at this point with all these white knights and, and with the whole 6-day siege with all the gunfire shit that may, you know, this is revolutionary suicide. It's time to lay our lives down. Because if I, you really believe the Guyanese government's going to come in and slaughter your kids, you're better off killing yourself. It's, I mean, well, that's, that's what he's what, saying. Yeah, in that the mindset. I think that? in at this and this, what Ian's saying is, I, I agree with that. In that, these people got to this point now where they hang on every word Jim Jones says. They believe everything he says. So now they think they're all going to get killed. So it's better to, to do things their own way and go out their own way. And that's and why I have such a hard time peacefully. putting myself. Right. In their spot. Well, and then the problem is the fact that these people got to themselves to this spot yeah, is exactly. a whole other debate. It's fucking nonsense. Yeah. On the tape, you can hear Jim say something to Marcelin. He says something along the lines of, Marcelin, you have 40 minutes. And then it cuts, it edits. And then Maria Katsaris comes on and starts telling people to get in line, calm down, assuring them that the kids aren't crying from any pain. It's just bitter tasting, which is <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, that's why they're crying and their mouth's foaming. It just doesn't taste well. So I have a question. I listened to Death Tape this afternoon. And Mr. Jim Jones has quite a bit of a lisp during this whole tape. Yeah, he's all fucked up. Is it because he's fucked up? Because I never heard it before. Yeah, he's, he's like thuathide. The thuathide. Yeah, yeah. He, he's all he's all drugged up. <laughs> okay. and and it's like and we'll post the picture on on Instagram. The picture of him. He looks so worn out, and you know, at that at that stage. And I think it's just a mixture of being worn out, fucked up on drugs, and now yeah. now shits hit the fan, and he's not. In like preacher mode, Jim, where he's saying everything perfect. I yeah. think it's like the veil kind of comes down yeah. with how he's okay. talking. Yeah, he uh, was frantic and lispy, and uh, yeah, it wasn't that typical. Yeah, uh, it was completely different. Yeah, the uh, you know, and in Marcelin, when she got to Jonestown, they had a full um, 
like nursery with incubators and stuff. That's why I was saying before in the last episode, it's amazing what they were able to build in the middle of the jungle. It's crazy. But, you know, she was in charge of taking care of the babies because there were babies being born in Jonestown. And and this is Tim Carter's recollection and Steven, which was on the radio and stuff that the part in the tape where Jim's saying, you know, he starts saying, mother, please, mother, please lay down your life with your child, but don't do it like this, that it was Marceline having to be held back. And she's the one in the background screaming. Mm. So and like I said, she tried to do what she could from behind the scenes, but yeah. Every, you know, any power was taken away for her. So as stuff started to become more real for people on the tape, Jim starts rushing everyone, telling them to hurry up. The Guyanese military is going to come and kill them for what had happened. And like, like we were saying, there's tons of edits on the tape, so it's hard to put down a timeline because he had a pause and start button on the microphone. But and and who knows how really long, how long it took to kill all the all the kids cuz there was a little over 300. But towards the end of the tape you can hear Jim start saying get the get the vat with the green sea and and the adults can start now. Go ahead. No, I see so they just stood around watching the kids foam at the mouth and die more or less well obviously I mean, it looks like some of the parents great human beings here looks like some of the parents you know did it at the same time as the kids but yeah. for the most part of it must have been a bunch of adults standing around watching them poison kids it, you know i had um i had a few other questions so i emailed fielding mcgee from the jonestown institute about the tape yeah some other stuff the other day and he he answered stuff the best he could but he said anybody that tries to tell you exactly what happened or what was going on is is full of it okay that that makes sense yeah that you can't the tape is such chaos in the background and and from survivors points that you can't yeah you didn't, you're never okay. gonna really know what happened that makes sense i i think that's one of the big things for me with jonestown too why it interests me so much i look in this because it's like are you gonna find like the one key to, to what some, happened that everyone else overlooked yeah or yeah, something sure. but yeah so all in all at jonestown 909 people died from the the cyanide poisoning and the actual number of survivors that were actually in jonestown for that totaled seven people so getting into who survived actually being there, um, there was an elderly woman named Hyacinth Thrash who heard the calling for the white knight to come to the pavilion. And she decided, she said, fuck it, I'm not going. I'm sick of it. <laughs> and her sister told her that you need to go because you're going to be in trouble if you don't. And she said, I- I'm not going. I'm done. That's smart. <laughs> and she just hid under her bed and fell asleep and slept through the whole thing. And she woke up. Good for her. Well, I mean, think of how that would feel. Amazing. But that's like being at the end of the world. Well, then when you wake up, that's a surreal experience. You wake up and come out and everybody's dead. Yeah, yeah. Stanley Clayton, Odell Rhodes, and Grover Cleveland Davis all avoided death differently. Awesome fucking name. Grover Cleveland Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Stanley was a... Two-time president. Two-time Stanley was able to sneak away and hide in the jungle with all the chaos, and he just hid there till it was all over. Odell Rhodes told the guards he didn't want to die, and for whatever reason, they let him through and told him to have a good life. And, oh, geez. Great. And he hid in the ditch, and he just hid through the whole thing. I wonder if ditch. he had like some kind of like buddy relationship with the guards. He said no. He says no. He just said, I don't want to die today, and they said, have a good life. See ya. That seems very odd to what the guards had always stood for and did. Yeah. 
Well, it's that's what I mean. This is all there's so many questions with stuff because there's all these different recollections of these people all have different accounts of how things went down. Um, maybe they just assumed he'd die in the jungle. Maybe. Yeah. So they like have a good life. Probably. That's a good point, too. They're probably like, yeah, good luck yeah, with good the luck. jaguars and the poisonous right. frogs and shit. Yeah. Tim Carter, Michael Carter and Mike Prokes were given a suitcase full of cash with pistols um, Maria Kitsaris gave those to them. She said that Jim had had given given the orders for this. She told them to take the cash to the Russian embassy in Georgetown and kill themselves if they got caught. With an out, Tim Carter went to find went to go find his wife and his child to to get them out of there, but they had already been poisoned. Ugh. And that one that one's crazy too. Like listening to him talk about it because he found them as they were dying and he said that his wife the the quote from him was confused he said she just looked like what what did i do or what's happening you know she just so brutal like i said accounts of what happened kind of vary odell Rhodes said he saw people refusing and being forced being injected um and then some people were taking it willingly stanley Clayton said that he saw the majority of people being injected, and there there is evidence of that. People were found with bent syringes in them, and um, those might have been the ones that struggled or oh yeah, weren't going willingly. They yeah, were just attacked. Uh, yeah, a lot of people and they had like abscess from from getting them. And I mean, they said there was in their arms, their neck, the top of their head, like just basically. Mm. It's not like in a frantic situation wherever you could stick somebody with yeah. it. And there and there's different opinions on or different recollections on gunfire and stuff and maybe that could be a bonus episode down the road about all the questions with some of this stuff because you go there's down a lot a of crazy hole. theories right yeah and there's different yeah there's different things you know stanley clayton says that he heard a, he heard machine gun fire while he was hiding in the jungle at night because he was waiting and mm. there's all kind of different stuff Interesting. But the last group to die was the leadership and their children who they all died in Jim's cabin. They drank the poison, some injected it on top of drinking it. And that's I don't know if it was like a I'm more committed than you are type thing. I'll do both or or what. Yeah. But Jim Jones was found he was found in the pavilion shot in the head, lying on his back with his head rested on a pillow. So he wasn't in the cabin. He didn't die mm-hmm. in the cabin with everyone else. Nope. The leadership. Nope. He didn't drink, drink the poison either. And I think he probably saw how miserable it was for everybody I'm else sure. dying. Yeah. Uh, the only other person that's confirmed to be killed by a gunshot wound to the head was Annie Moore. And it's assumed that she's the one that killed Jim Jones and then went back to the cabin and killed herself. So this fucking pussy, after all this, couldn't even kill himself. He had to have someone else put one in his head. Of course. This fucking guy. Yeah, he didn't do it himself. Unbelievable. And according to to some of the survivors that were hiding, hours passed before they heard the gunshot that killed Jim and the gunshot that killed of Annie killing herself. And it it almost seemed like she Annie Moore had been given the job to to kind of tidy things up or, you know, any loose ends or maybe even sh- destroy some things that they didn't want people to find. Yeah. Or, or, you know, kill anybody else that was left. I mean, who knows what she was doing, mm-hmm. um, but she was found in Jim's cabin with everybody else. And she had, there was a suicide note next to her. It's a really long suicide note, but the last line says, um, we died because you would not let us live. There's 918 people all together. Meanwhile, no one really gave a fuck. Yeah. People were letting them live just fine. Yeah. 
And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is that, you know, they gave that money to, to Tim Carter to go take to the Russian embassy. And there's there's theories on that, too. But they had a rough estimate, like a modest estimate, was that they had about $8 million altogether. But they had been taking money to offshore accounts that it's estimated to be like $30 million. Hmm. They He could have ran this for a long time. I mean, he, he could have... They could have used that money to actually feed the fucking people, right? Build more housing and make it like a nice little utopia, for right? Them. So who got the offshore account? It's debated. Really? It's debated. Yeah, the family members at the end, because um, there's about thirteen million, or I said eight million. There's about thirteen million that was like confirmed money and assets, but nine million of that went to the cleanup effort. <laughs> to clean everything up. Really? Yeah. Really? And so, because family members were like filing suit, you know, sure. against the people's temple and stuff. But yeah, no one knows. And Jim had a Bible, an actual Bible, not not guns, that had all the banking information in mm. it. But what happened to that Bible? No one knows. And all that money and all those <laughs> off-seas accounts has never been never mm. been found. But I mean, he could have he could have ran this for a long time. I think that you know, and, there, and there's stuff that we that I glossed over with this. With um, but, I mean, you can go if anybody's interested. Read Road to Jones because it gets into it that he just couldn't admit that this socialist utopia this communal thing wasn't wasn't working out the way that he thought it would and he would end up bank it was a real possibility he would bankrupt this thing before he before he died yeah. and he would just be known as some fucking asshole that went to the jungle and failed so it was all pride yeah basically it's almost the whole the whole sum of this three-part uh, story this is- the worst it's an egomaniac i just have a lot of mixed feelings about all these people i don't know i think that you could say people in the u.s leading up to this point you could have said you need to get out you know maybe you know you could say like you maybe need to you had the chance to get out but i don't think anybody here really i mean they didn't have a chance you know i agree with that i think once you got i mean you had a chance to get out but it was what going into a jungle i still probably would have done that but that's i understand that that's probably not a realistic option for well a third of them were kids a third of them were senior citizens yeah and the other third were starved famished people so i understand that when they got to jonestown but the whole getting to that point is still what i get stuck on is just how can you follow such a a not good human being we'll we'll say it that way it's a mild way to put it (laughs) i censored myself (laughs) for the first time ever on this show on this fucking show so yeah that's the that's the story of jim so that's jonestown in about six hours or less yeah (laughs) it's a long one it's an interesting story, and I learned a lot more than I, you know, because you grow up hearing about Jonestown and this and that. And, you know, I learned a lot that I, I, I guess I didn't know a lot of the details. Yeah, I didn't know. It's interesting. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know jack shit about Jonestown. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was interesting. I, I thought, found this to be very frustrating three episodes with all the, the, the lying and the bullshit yeah. and people getting yeah. duped and following it, sometimes blindly, and just the... Uh, um, the the ways he would manipulate people and people would be manipulated and then the way they would treat other people. So it was frustrating, but it was very interesting. And you could, I, that's the thing with this too, is there's all these unanswered questions. You could sit there and go over stuff forever, you know, yeah. with it. You know, I just want to, I want to give a big thanks to um, Rebecca Moore and Fielding McGee that run the Jonestown Institute. 
I mean, it's it's crazy the amount of information that's there that they've put into it with all the Freedom of Information Act requests and and we'll we'll tweet out their link too to that website. Yeah. Um, so who which, are, who are, are these guys? Like, how do they get involved? Are they so related to this story at all? Are they just interested parties? Or Fielding McGee had a family member that was involved in the People's Temple. Okay. And then Rebecca Moore is the sister of Carolyn Layton and Annie Moore. Okay. Wow. So that's, yeah, it's uh, uh, pretty close. Yeah. So yeah, and and then you know another th- thank you to Fielding McGee for being quick to email me back over like the past two years. Anytime I've ever had a question, he and you've had lots of questions, I'm sure. Yeah, and as he, you do your research, he gets right back to me every time. So and I'll bring it up again because you won't, Ian. You are published on this website for your article you've written. One, one, one thus far. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another one this year. Is there a direct link? to the, your article that we can post out. Yeah. So we'll post that to Ian's direct link. And then you can also check out the Institute's website if you're interested in looking into more. It seems like they're pretty, uh, the people who run it are pretty friendly with if people have questions, they can email them. Oh, yeah. 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 And you can yeah, get they're... all your questions answered much like we did today with our chimpanzee friend. <laughs> Special thanks to Mr. Muggs for stopping by the studio today. Cause, yeah. uh, great insight into the whole uh, situation. All right, Ian, it's your chance. Anything else you got on Jonestown? I'm sure you got a I, lot more yeah, on Jonestown. I could do like another two or three episodes <laughs> on, on stuff. I really glossed over stuff to keep this. But like you said, maybe in the future we'll do like a bonus episode yeah. talking about some of the theories or something. Yeah. Yeah, and if I mean, if anybody is interested on Instagram or whatever about anything specific or a specific tape or something, feel free to comment, and I could probably direct you to. Do you want to throw to out your uh, Instagram account? Yeah, my you guys haven't done that yet on here. Yeah, my Instagram is Ian I A N underscore Namapod. <laughs> Ian awesome. underscore Namapod. So yeah, I mean, if anybody has any any direct questions or wants to know what tape is what or something, I could probably help them out dave any last thoughts jonestown social medias anything no i'm i have mixed mixed thoughts about this brutal it's a terrible story it's not fun um i got a couple shout outs too uh before we wrap up on Instagram, a couple of these are a few weeks uh, long overdue, but Paul Alexander and Liz McCombs, thank you for the shout outs on Instagram. And then on Twitter, in a city like yours podcast, uh, they're always throwing us out on like the uh, follow Friday. So I appreciate that. And anytime anyone asks for a uh, podcast to listen to, they're mentioning us. And then uh, Joe Spotso is always uh, retweeting us and reaching out to us on, on Twitter. So thank you to all of you guys. Ian, I think you got a couple uh, too. Yeah, I got a couple iTunes ones. Um, Hillbilly Dubs, I Hate the Circus, and Ladybug Girl 18 left us really, really good reviews. Um, it's awesome to see people that are that are that interested and listen to us and, and are enjoying it. Yeah, and then actually the um, the rating and reviews on iTunes, for those of you who listen to us on Apple, those really, really help us out. Uh, they go a long way to getting us on the new and noteworthy and uh, bring a lot of extra attention to us on uh, iTunes and, and Apple Podcasts. So if you have an Apple phone, please leave a rating and a review for us because it helps us out tremendously. We are at Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, uh, at Necronomapod. Facebook, also Necronomapod. Hit us up. Let us know what you liked, what you disliked, your thoughts on Jonestown. And if you have any uh, any other comments or feedback on the show, we, uh, we love to hear from you guys. 
So we appreciate you listening. And we're going to end it a little different tonight than we normally do. We're going to end it with the uh, the last recorded words from Jim Jones. Are you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world.